Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle, broadcasting live from the Zimmer Radio Group World Headquarters. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry. Get ready for interviews with movers and shakers from our community as we dive in for a deeper look inside Columbia. Now, here's your host, Fred Perry. Good morning. It's Saturday, 20, September 26th, and we're glad to have you here with us on the CEO Roundtable. Stepping in for Fred Perry this week is a new set of co-hosts. I'm Melody Perry, and sitting behind me, is, beside me, is Peggy Kirkpatrick. Welcome. Good morning. Fred stepped away from the radio show for just a few weeks because of the election for county commissioner. Brave man giving it to us. We've got it for a few weeks, so whatever we want to say I think is fair game. We're excited to have with us today Brad Eifert, who's the owner of Boone County Lumber, and Rob Wolverton, who's the president of our Anthony Development Group. We asked them on because we really wanted to talk about the housing market in Columbia. And my first question for both of you is the intro said we're talking to movers and shakers. So which are you? (laughs) At this stage of my life, I'm afraid I'm more of a shaker than I am a mover. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, given the the lack of mobility and lack of appointments anywhere uh, out of work hours, I don't feel like much of a mover. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, there we go. Right. But. We are interested in the real estate market and, and what you see coming down the pike right now after or in the middle of COVID. Brad, let's start with you. What are you seeing? Well, building permits this year have been really strong, as and most people realize that our inventories in, in housing and Rob will be much more uh, attuned to these figures. But our valuations on our permits are up. Our total number of building permits are up, yet our inventories are at, what I believe to be historic lows. So there's just been a lot of activity in the real estate market as we uh, continue to absorb what available product there is out there. And I think we, we see demographic changes as people prefer single family dwellings. So we've really been seeing, I think, a, a resurgence nationwide, not only in Columbia, of just single family uh, home starts. Brad, give us give the audience just a little bit of background about yourself and um, Boone County Lumber. Well, Boone County Lumber was started in 1965 by Howard Eifert and Ray Fries and Frank Fristo and Tom Alton. And for my background, my father came here to Columbia to assistant manage a Long Bell Lumber Yard, a retail division of, of international paper. And he moved here when I was a week old, so back in 1959, and he did that for five years before starting Boone County Lumber with those four gentlemen in 1965. Hmm. So I'm a a lifelong Columbia product of Benton, Jeff, Hickman High School, University of Missouri uh, for undergrad and master's degrees. And other than nine years away, active duty Air Force, I've mostly been spent my life in Columbia, and I've been back involved with uh, Boone County Lumber It'll be 27 years next month, so I moved back from the Air Force in 93, so um, seen a lot of changes in Columbia uh, through those years. Absolutely. Hey, Rob, why don't you um, bring everybody up to speed about your background and how you got into what you do, which is a little bit of everything, the real estate, the development, all of that. Yeah, I... um I moved to Columbia in 1995. My wife and I moved here and have since 
had and raised two children here and and love this and con- consider this to be our, our long-term home. And um, I got started in the real estate industry as soon as I moved here. Um, I first became interested in it when I was in college. My college roommate, uh, his family was really big in the real estate industry in the Kansas City area, which is where I grew up. And um, so just listening to them talk and listening to the different things that were going on, I became interested in it and realized that that's something that I wanted to do as I as I got older and make a career out of it. So um, when I first got started, I started as a realtor, uh, working with House of Brokers and working with Jackie and Lawrence Bolgen, who were fantastic mentors. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, we moved into the development side of the world, and, the, and then I started buying into the rental property side of the world as well. And I'm now on the, the home construction side as well. So we've done, you know, lots of different aspects within the industry. And most of my time now is spent on the development and the construction side of the industry with with some of my time being spent in the rental side of the, of the business as well. I, I think you really do have a unique perspective, Rob, because you um, have both sides of it, the commercial and um, the real estate interest in the housing market. Yeah, I my my degree in college was accounting and tax, and and with a with a, um, a a minor in econ. So I've always been kind of a numbers person and a math person, and um, for whatever reason, the, the the number side of this has always just made sense to me. And so uh, over the years, as I got into the development side of the world, there's you know there's a lot of uh, financial analysis and market analysis and that sort of thing that goes along with that and that's the sort of thing that i i really enjoy that side of the business which sounds crazy but i do like that um but uh anyhow um that's that's why i've always just um, felt more at home in that side of the business mm-hmm. okay we're going to ask you the same question rob that we asked um brad what trends are you seeing in the housing market today well, the market is extremely hot right now, as we all as we all have seen. I mean, as, as a sign goes up on a on a property that's a a good property, it's gone almost immediately. Um, I don't know about anybody else, but I know for me, this is taken by surprise. When um, when when COVID first when it first became prevalent, and back in March, and you know when things were really starting to get dicey back in March. You know, I felt like the market, we may see a slowdown because typically people are buying homes when they feel comfortable with their long term mm-hmm. of their job and long term of the economy. And they feel stability is when, you know, that's when people buy homes and and the exact opposite has happened. Uh, we've been in a very tumultuous year, uh, both, you know, economically and politically and, and that sort of thing. And yet people are buying houses as fast as they can buy them. And the the only things that I can really point to, um, first off, our interest rates are extraordinarily low. Uh, we've got 3% and, and less fixed 30-year mortgages, which, you know, when you account for the tax benefits you get from paying mortgage interest and then factor in inflation, uh, that's virtually free money. Mm-hmm. And so um, what, we're, what we're seeing is people, we're, we're seeing some pent-up demand coming into the market. Because for the last four or five years, it's been cheaper to buy a home than it has been to rent. But many people still chose to rent. Well, now a lot of those people who were who were choosing to rent are seeing these low interest rates and saying, "Man, if I'm going to buy, I better get in the market and get it done." And so they are they're jumping into the market. So we're seeing a a combination of of low low historic low interest rates and and pent up demand both coming into the market at the same time. 
Yeah, that's right. So um, Brad is seeing a lot of um, lumber needs. Are people constructing their houses as well? Well, yes, absolutely. Over. Lots of new construction going on. You know, we when when the recession came along back in 2007 and 2008, um, Columbia before that was was pretty much a spec home market with uh, with some homes with some custom homes being built. So it was, you know, I, I would estimate it was probably you know 60 or 70 percent spec homes and the remainder being custom builds. Mm-hmm. And then when the recession came around, that flipped and it became almost an exclusively um, custom build market. But now with this increase in demand that we've experienced over the last six to eight months, the spec home market has really resurged. And there's a lot more spec homes coming into the market right now, which would account for the uptick in the the, the number of, uh, of permits that are being pulled and, and just the overall demand in the market is up. So therefore, the spec homes have gone up with that. Hey, Brad, why don't you answer the same question? What, um, with all the lumber challenges, what, what are you seeing? Well, I think Rob's hit a key point when he talks about interest rates being a primary decision point for people choosing this type of housing. Um, I've, I've run some analysis of interest rate versus material cost, and almost always interest rate wins that wins that decision matrix because, as I tell some people, that you buy your money every 30 days. You pay your mortgage every month, and you only buy your materials one time. It's a point in time. And if you lose a, a point on your interest rate, it, it almost – the math never works out that you will – uh, overcome any savings in materials. So interest rate, I think it's a key metric that drives people's decisions to consume or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and material costs, even though they may go up, you're better off to go ahead and, and take advantage of that lower rate environment than to lose the rate in hopes of material prices falling back down. Um, and I think that that is something that's really driving housing starts nationwide is this interest rate environment and and just that truth that you buy your money over a long period of time, but materials are only a one-time purchase. Okay, let me ask you this, Brad. With all the disasters going on, with the, the hurricanes and the flooding and the fires and all of that, what's that doing to lumber prices? Well, this is... This is really a complex environment that we're in right now because we've we've got so many different dynamics all coming together, and it's a little well, it's for sure historical and and quite unprecedented. But you know, one of the things I think is important because a lot of people don't realize that where we are today has been over ten years in the making. We have underbuilt single-family residential homes since the late two thousands, mid to late two thousands. You know, what should have been historically a 1.5 million housing start nation was a less than million start housing nation for much of the last 10 years. And um, so we have underproduced new single family residential for over a decade. Hmm. Is that because of demand? Is that because demand was down? I think a lot of it was just the it was the financial crisis that put a lot of people into foreclosures, a lot of people foregoing the. the the risk of owning because they saw some of the pain that friends and family had gone through from owning homes. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob's right. A lot of people chose to rent for any number of personal decisions, but they for sure 
we're foregoing single family residential purchases, but we have had over 10 years of underbuilding in the United States on single family homes. Mm. And with a spike coming back to, you know, now we're up above 1.5 million starts. Mm. Um, what we've got here is multiple factors coming into play. One is demand coming back to where it should have been a long time ago with, but you know, it wasn't. So we've got an entire distribution channel in an industry from the labor and the manufacturing side that has grown accustomed to supplying about a million of 1.1 million starts, but not 1.5. And so you throw this unprecedented demand and then people, a lot of people have read that the retail big box side of just walk-in customers, people improving their living situations, you know, doing decks and resides and kitchen remodels, that's all come to, into play. So that's um, exacerbated the demand side. And then there's other factors coming into play, like last year, Forest Products in 2019 were at just ridiculously low prices to the point that a lot of Canadian mills just decided to throw in the towel. They're like, they were they were bleeding so much money that they just they just shut down. So entire communities up in British Columbia lost all their jobs basically. Um, so we have diminished supply, a smaller distribution channel to supply what has been about you know like I said 1.1 million starts, and then you throw in flooding southern yellow pine forest. You throw in disruptions from people not being able to go to work because of COVID. Two weeks ago, literally, the Douglas fir industry came to a halt as Oregon put a moratorium on all commercial forest activities um, in Oregon. So that completely shut down the Douglas fir market, which is really important to construction in California. Um, Those markets start turning to other species like spruce out of Canada to serve their needs. So fires, floods, strong demand from home builders, strong demand on the retail side, and you throw that on top of a small supply chain because of just underbuilding for over a decade, and that's how we got to where we are today. So it's not a short-term thing. This is not something that'll go away quickly Hmm. because we didn't get here quickly. Rob, you want to weigh in? Yeah, you know, I I think... uh, well, to add to what Brad was saying, we have the labor side of the equation as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, going back to 10 or 12 years ago, you know, you had people that were that were subcontractors who, who left the business. You know, they may have been a concrete finisher or a foundation guy or something like that. And they sold their equipment and went, went and found something else to do. And, and those people have not, that, that supply of those people has not come back at the same level that the that the demand has come back. So not only do we have a supply shortage, we also have a labor shortage. Um, you know, back when things were really rocking in this town back in, you know, 2004, 2005, we had a lot of these people that were coming here from smaller towns, you know, Brookfield and Macon and Rolla and places like that. Mm-hmm. Well, those people sold their equipment, and they're now working at Home Depot or Lowe's or, or Boone yeah. County Lumber or something like that, and they have no interest in going and, 
you know, investing a quarter million dollars to get, you know, to get their equipment up to date where they can get back into the industry. Let's talk a little bit more about the labor market when we return. We've been speaking to Brad Eifert, owner of Boone County Lumber, and Rob Wolverton, president of R. Anthony Group. You're listening to the CEO Roundtable with co-hosts Peggy Kirkpatrick and Melody Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. You're listening to Inside Columbia with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable. I'm Melody Perry sitting alongside Peggy Kirkpatrick. We're sitting in for Fred Perry the next few weeks. I hope you're enjoying your Saturday morning. Right now we are speaking to two local business owners, Brad Eifert and Rob Wolverton, on the state of the housing market in Columbia. Rob, when we left, you were talking a little bit about the labor force. I think that's an interesting concept and in how it relates to the housing market. Well, we, you know, we've spent a lot of years as as a nation um, sending sending our kids to college rather than trade school, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of kids who um, have spent years in college when they, what they really needed to to do was learn to become a plumber or an electrician or a framer or a stonemason or learn how to drive machinery or something like that. And subsequently, um, you know, we've got a shortage of people who are trained and ready to work in those industries. And so um, the labor side of the market is lagging behind the, the supply, the, the material side of the market. Uh, they're both lagging. And so, um, and as Brad said, that's not a short-term fix. I mean, that's something that will require, you know, kids who are coming out of high school understanding that you know they can go uh, learn a trade and make a really really good living mm-hmm. um, and they don't you know college is not necessarily the best route for every kid that's coming out of high school i think that's right and i think our school system is is trying to learn that you know there are so many amazing trade jobs out there and i'm sure brad sees those too that where students can come out and make great living uh, I work with so many people that are very professional in what they do. They learned their trades from skilled craftsmen and good business people here in, in our industry. And now they run very, very prosperous enterprises and they're incredible demands for their services. And the one thing I would add about the labor side, because so many times we're used to seeing these large uh, environmental catastrophes that destroy houses and apartments and commercial structures and people will blame the material market increases on those catastrophes and one of the issues we've seen for at least 10 years is that has not been the case because there is no surplus labor to go in and 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 provide uh, any kind of relief for that extra demand for repair because the industry's already at capacity. They just go uh, into the repair mode versus the new construction mode, but our industry does not have the sur- surplus capacity to go in and rebuild all the burnt-out parts of Southern California or Northern California because they were already fully employed. Mm-hmm. So it's not like burning a hillside of homes is going to create a whole new bunch of framing crews and contractors and, and concrete guys they were already fully employed at their capacity. So those disasters, all they do is just magnify our need for more people in skilled trades in this industry. 
Let me ask you something, Brad. You were talking about earlier about the lumber companies and the mills shutting down in Canada uh, and people losing their jobs, et cetera. And do you see now that all of a sudden everybody's going, wait a minute, we got to get back open. We've got to get working. We've, we've got to start the, the supply again. We haven't seen it yet. Um, and I don't know if we will because of just log supply constraints and timber management issues. Um, again, to the point of we didn't get here quickly, it's a complicated set of factors. You know, there were things like advanced harvest of beetle kill wood that made an artificial increase in available timber in Canada. And so you cut through a lot of the standing beetle kill to salvage the fiber. You get back to more sustainable forest management practices and the the log supply just isn't there. So I think I think there are more complicated issues than just seeing demand and putting on the shifts. And again, can you find the labor that mm-hmm. is willing to work on a third shift at a mill? Um, so I think you got labor problems, you've got um, available timber problems, combine that with just some of the environmental issues that are uh, magnifying the complications of harvest in certain in certain regions. Um, so I don't think it's going to be something that people can just put ships on and, and suddenly start producing more wood. They've just got too many things to to work through yet. So I don't see that capacity coming back anytime soon. What, what do you think are the long-term effects of what you're seeing right now? Well, I think long-term, I I do get questions about pricing a lot because we've seen some, really some historic, unprecedented volatility, mostly, mostly up. Um, one of my favorite quotes recently is we're seeing the upward momentum starting to abate meaning we're kind of seeing some tops uh, perhaps and seeing the continued increases starting to slow down. But I think long-term, I think our markets and our industries will settle into some values that are probably for at least a, for a time, they're going to be higher than what we've historically had. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think interest rates are still going to make consumption of, of products attractive. But I think we're probably going to, end up accustomed to seeing numbers a little bit higher than we had over the over the past decade just because the demand is there now and you know i I think people are also going to have to get used to maybe using different species of wood than they have uh maybe a little bit less of canadian spruce which is very predominant in this market we may see a little bit more southern pine come in but i think we'll be able to take care of the of the demand needs it just may take some flexibility and when you say the numbers go up, I assume you're talking prices. Prices. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rob, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, we've gone. You know, a lot of our forest products values have gone up anywhere from two and a half to three and a half times where they were just one year ago today. Wow. Rob, same question. What What do you think is the long term effects of what you're seeing in the housing market from a residential and commercial side? Well, the the um, inflation is is certainly here. Um, we're seeing an increase in all of our costs when it comes to materials to labor. It takes longer to produce product, um, so we, we definitely have an, we are in an inflationary environment for sure. Um, 
the the cheap interest rates right now are pushing buyers that they're making amenities and, and higher grade finishes and higher grade materials, you know, better windows and doors and, and interior finishes and exterior finishes and that sort of thing. It's making them less expensive and more affordable because the interest rates are so cheap that people can afford these things. And so what I'm seeing in, in my business is that people are opting for higher levels of finishes. They're, they're not as concerned with having a, a large house but they really want the fine finishes and they really want the great amenities and um, they, they really like the the amenities. Once they've had them, they don't want to go without them, mm-hmm. you know, when they move to a new place or they downsize their home or, or whatever their reason for moving is. Um, the other thing that I'm seeing is that <clears throat> I feel like with these long-term interest rates, uh, we're going to see longer periods of homeownership. Um, people for for years in this town have owned their homes for you know seven you know seven eight nine years and then moved or moved up or moved out of town or whatever the case may be. And when people have a fixed thirty year mortgage at three percent or less, mm-hmm. uh, it, it will be difficult for people to sell their home and and replace that. So I, I anticipate we're going to see the the average home ownership time will increase. Um, I, I also see people uh, moving more into more of the, the rural environments, people moving to the, the smaller towns like Hallsville, Centralia, Ashland, uh, which, you know, that's a function of, of inexpensive gasoline, which makes the commuting costs decrease. It also is a function of, you know, it costs less to build. Their permits are typically less expensive. Uh, you know, and the lots are typically a little bit more, a little bit less expensive than they are in Columbia. And, um, you know, people are able to afford, you know, a five-acre lot or a 10-acre lot. Whereas before they just they just couldn't afford that, but again with the the inexpensive interest rates, people can afford those things. Okay, you've talked a lot about um, you know the the building versus buying a pre-owned, et cetera. Here's this may be the same question only asked differently, so excuse me if it is, but what's the market like for a first-time home buyer? And for those people who are renting, does that negatively impact the renting um, community? Because Lord knows we've got lots of condos and apartments all over town. Uh, why don't you both speak a little bit about that? Well, the, the first-time home buyer market is always a challenging market, and, and that's no different now. Um, first-time home buyers have to. You know, for them to save money for a down payment and that sort of thing is always the, the difficult challenge. If they've got a good job and they've got a reasonable um, credit score and uh, their income is solid, uh, the, the lenders are ready to lend money. Uh, so getting a mortgage right now is, is really not that difficult, whereas 10 years ago, that really was difficult. And, and now that, that market has really loosened to where a buyer that's got a good credit score and a good job can, can get financed. So um, the cheap interest rates help with that for sure. The, the downside is, is that with, with costs going up of new construction, and when the cost of new construction goes up, then that, that pulls up the pre-owned, uh, the values of pre-owned homes are pulled up with that. So in an inflationary environment, uh, the, these young buyers have to look and say, well, is it smarter for me to rent for another year and save more money for my down payment? Mm-hmm. Or should I go ahead and take the plunge and buy now because the inflation uh, is going to drive the prices higher 
at a rate that's faster than what I can save my money. So I'm going to, I'm going to lose ground if I actually rent for another year versus going ahead and buying now. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I don't work directly with the first time buyers usually because a lot of times they will be purchasing the spec home, but anecdotally, and, and Rob might be able to chime in on this observation, but it seems to me like the first time home buyer is coming into the market later in terms of their age with higher expectations. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, kid, the, the, the college housing that the kids are in today versus what it was 20 and 30 and 40 years ago is, is obviously very, very nice housing and, you know, really upscale in comparison to what it was uh, back in the days when we were in college. And so nobody wants to buy a home and decrease their standard of living. Yeah. So when a kid comes out of an apartment that's a really nice apartment, they don't want to go buy a house that's, that they feel like they're, they're decreasing the standard of living they've enjoyed for the last several years. So uh, that along with the fact that people are going to school longer, they're, you know, uh, getting more advanced degrees and things like that. So, you know, back in the mid nineties, you know, your normal first time home buyer was, you know, 22, 23, 24 years old. Now the first time home buyers I'm working with now, they're more like 30, 31, 32 years old. Well, and I remember talking years ago kind of about the Generation Xer and how, you know, they, they are accustomed to a certain standard of living and they don't, they don't want to buy a new home until they can afford that. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They will continue to rent until they can afford to buy what they want. So the thought process of buying something, you know, fixing it up and painting it and putting in new carpet and cleaning up the landscaping and working weekends to do that. And then selling that home and taking that equity and, and moving up, uh, that's that's typically not the way it's done now. Typically, they'll continue to rent and just save their money until they get to the point where they can they can buy what they want to begin with. That's interesting. So no, and a lot of you you hear a lot of times you know people will go back you know and talk about the builder or the industry or, or the prices of things as far as prohibiting first time buyers from getting into a house, but. Sometimes the cost of that first-time home is trying to meet the expectations of the first-time home buyer for square footage, maintenance-free exteriors, quality countertops and flooring surfaces. So, you know, it's, it, there's two dynamics involved here, and it's not always just how inexpensively can I put up the product, but also one that people have a desire for and that meets their expectations. So I think they both have to come together. After this break, we'll be back with our guests. We've been on the CEO Roundtable with Rob Wolferson and Brad Eifert. You're listening to Peggy Kirkpatrick and Melody Perry on the CEO Roundtable on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. Inside Columbia with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9, The Eagle. And 
welcome back to the CEO Roundtable. Let's continue our conversation with Rob Overton and Brad Eifert. We appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today on the housing market, men. Okay. Pleasure to be here. Here's a big question, guys, and I want both of you to comment on this. What kind of an impact are you seeing with our housing market on other communities, both in Boone County and maybe in in counties contiguous to Boone, um, impacting growth or people moving into Columbia, moving out of Columbia? What's your thoughts? Uh, Why don't we start with Brad? Well, it seems like we've had a a trend in recent years for more peripheral growth around the city of Columbia, city limits specifically, and a lot of that I think has been driven just by the cost of pulling a building permit within the city of Columbia. Just, you know, extra building permit cost, extra regulatory cost doesn't add anything to your quality of life in terms of square footage or amenities in your dwelling. So I think the city of Columbia has, they've certainly made some choices that have made peripheral development attractive and so you're seeing some of the smaller communities for sure get developed if a lot a lot of new construction new neighborhoods ashland hallsville um large parcels being subdivided just around all over really the county on all sides of columbia but it, it seems like we've Columbia to me remains attractive. I ride my bike to work. I enjoy being in the city of Columbia, but in terms of value and what you get for your dollar, I think that there's been uh, an incentive to to move outside the city limits. Is that the same thing you're seeing, Rob? Yeah. For for years and years, a, a large part of the growth that we had here in Columbia was um, young people growing up in some of the smaller surrounding communities that you know are, are more agriculture-driven communities where uh, they graduate high school and there's really not any industry to keep them in you know, a place like Brookfield or, or someplace like that. And they end up moving to Columbia because there's just more opportunity for them. And so, um, again, with the cheap cost of gasoline and, and the reduced cost of commuting, but now we've also added to that that there's a lot of people who are able to work from home. And with the, the COVID and the pandemic environment that we're in, more and more people are finding that they can work effectively from home. And kids are, you know, they're doing school from home and people are doing more and more things from home. And what they really need is they need fiber internet service. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the old adage was, if you want to see where growth is going to go, we'll see where the sanitary sewers are being built. Well, of course, sanitary sewers are still important, but now you have to add to that, you have to watch where the fiber is being built because the fiber is being extended into a small town, say a Hartsburg. You know, somebody that can work from home that lives in Columbia can go to Hartsburg and buy a little house for half the price Mm-hmm. You know, put some money into it and have a great standard of living, work from home, teach their kids from home and have a great standard of living at a way lesser at a way lesser cost in, a, in an environment that, you know, they maybe feel uh, a little more comfortable that, you know, with a lesser population, they're not as concerned about, you know, virus issues and things like that. So you really believe COVID has made a strong impact on the market? Very much so. Very much so. Yeah, I think that uh, people are, we're seeing a huge demand for people wanting to move on to small acreage lots and get out of, you know, the downtown area or get out of the smaller subdivision type of environment and get into places where they're a little more 
separated. They've got a little more room. Uh, but the driving force of that, um, when anytime we're looking at, you know, doing an acreage lot subdivision or something like that, the number one thing I look for is is fiber internet available. Mm-hmm. Because if fiber's not available, people won't buy them. If it is available, then you've got you've got a good chance. I know broadband is a big issue right now. Yeah, huge issue. What are you seeing as far as city regulations versus county regulations on um, building, renovating, any of that? Well, it is more expensive to build in the city than it is the county. Um, it's more restrictive, and there's more, as Brad said, there's the permit costs are higher. Um, the, the additional, you know, it's just a, a tougher regulatory environment than it is in the county, and then it's, then it's way tougher than if you get across the county lines and get into, you know, Cooper County or Callaway County or something like that. Then, it, then it's way less once you get into those counties. But um, so there are, you know, there are a lot of people who <clears throat> who want that regulatory environment. They want to be close to downtown or close to the university who are okay, you know, paying the additional costs for that. But there are other people who who don't feel that they recognize any value from those additional costs. So therefore, they're comfortable moving into a house in, in Callaway County or uh, you know moving to Boonville or something like that and commuting into to Columbia. And the, the the danger that that we have to be careful of here in Columbia is that if we have too much of that, then you have people who are commuting here and driving on the streets here and driving, you know, and using the services here, but not paying any taxes to this area. Right. So it puts a heavier tax burden on the people who actually do live here um, to support that that commuting type of lifestyle. So uh, there, there is, I, I'm not suggesting we're in a, in a, in a, any sort of a dangerous position at this point, but if that gets extreme enough, that could become an issue. Sure. Uh, Rob, also on the commercial side of things right now, um, do you see a lot of vacancies? I, I know it's a hard time with COVID for business owners. What's the commercial real estate market like? Well, it is. And I think if you drive around town and look at um, office buildings and things like that, I mean, um, again, people who for years and years and years, their their schedule was to get up in the morning and take a shower and get dressed and, and go to the office. Um, they've learned that with, with good fiber internet in their home, that they can stay home and work and be productive and have Zoom meetings and things like that. Um, so there's a lot of people who have office types of environments who are who are downsizing those offices and setting their people up to work from home. Yeah. So therefore, there's a you know there's a downward pressure on the demand for you know office and commercial space right now. Yeah, you really hear about it in large markets that people who are reconsidering a long-term lease, you know, and, and working from home and, and the savings that that provides for them. But I didn't know if, if you had seen that in Columbia yet. Yeah, I, I mean, I've read reports like in, of course, New York City is not Columbia, but in New York, New York City, they're looking at, you know, 30 and 40 percent declines in property values there because of, you know, now there's a lot of other issues going on there, you know, beyond sure. COVID. You but, think? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, maybe one or two. But anyway, um but yes, I mean it's happening everywhere, and it's not it's not just the large cities. It's happening in the the mid sized cities like here, and and you know your smaller college towns and that sort of thing. You know, if people can work from home, there's no sense in paying the rent on an apart or on an office building. Okay, Brad, I'm going to hit you with a question that may be not right up your alley, but I know you well enough to know you can speak to this. 
What advice would you give to people who are trying to decide whether to buy, sell, or renovate? And we're going to ask you the same thing, Rob, in a minute. So you can see what Brad says and either contradict him or whatever you want. So go, Brad. Oh, that's a tough one. I think part of it, you know, buy, sell, or renovate. So in terms of buying, I I think right now, obviously, it's a seller's market. But if you can find something that appeals to you and you can take advantage of this interest rate environment, I think it's a good time to buy, but obviously a lot of people have noticed that. Um, Renovations seem to be very attractive for people. If you like your location and you're satisfied with it, you certainly almost without doubt have upside potential in your existing dwelling because of just the appreciation of of everything else new. Um, I think we've seen people realize that they have a lot of equity in their homes. And so they just as well go ahead and make some improvements because they can do that without getting offsides in terms of the value. Mm -hmm. So if you like your location, you like your home, you like your neighbors and that environment that you're in, there's just so little downside to renovating right now to make it what you want it to be. And I think a lot of people have realized that, and that's part of that whole um, demand that we've seen. And so buying, renovating or selling, was that the other one? Yes. Yeah, obviously it's a seller's market. I mean, if I just constantly hear people selling their homes, you know, hours after listing and oftentimes mm-hmm. more than the listing price. And if you've got anything in you that wants to sell a house or from what I understand, a bicycle as well, now's the time to do it. <laughs> right. There's just not enough of either one. What, what do you think, Rob? <laughs> well, the challenge that we face, um, you know, as our market uh, as we age in our market and we have more baby boomers getting into the retirement age and, you know, wanting to downsize from the big old family home that they've lived in for the last 25 or 30 years is that what they're finding is, is that the equity they can pull out of their existing home that they maybe have paid off is not enough to go buy a new home that's more geared towards their current needs, which is typically, you know, a single level home and, you know, no steps, uh, you know, nice flat yards, new construction, energy efficient, you know, lots of nice upgrades and nice finishes and things like that. And so they have a real difficult choice to make because the, the people coming into the market now, we have less people that want to buy a house and fix it up and get it ready to go. So if you're selling your home, you really have to have your home in tip top shape Mm -hmm. and have already done all the carpet and painting and all that sort of thing in order for it to sell and sell for a good price. So when people look at that and they say, well, I'm going to have to spend, you know, $50,000 on my home to get it ready for the market. Then when I sell, I'm going to incur expenses of sale and expenses to move. And that's going to be another 25 or $30,000. And then I think I'll, you know, just my time and my headache and hassle, and they look at that and say, well, maybe I should take my time and that same money I would spend and add a master suite to my existing home and, and renovate the kitchen on my existing home. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Brad said, if you're, if you're in a nice location and you like your neighbors and, you, you know, you're within walking distance of the country club or whatever it is, you know, that you like to do for your, for your leisure time, um, there's a lot of people who are better off to just go ahead and renovate the home they're in as opposed to buy something new. Um, where that changes is if people have some sort of a health issue, 
So if you have one spouse or another who, you know, maybe needs uh, wheelchair accessible showers or uh, needs wider doorways and wider hallways and things like that, once you get to that level, then to renovate an older home and make it accessible for somebody who is handicapped, the cost of that is so prohibitive that then they're probably better off to just go ahead and sell it and incur the additional cost to, to build something new. We just have a minute left, Min, but I wanted to know, any of you want to make a prediction on how long this housing boom will continue? I think we're going to be in for, for some strength in the housing sector for a while. I, I think that we've gone through so much pain for so long that um, I, I think that this resurgence, it may not be like a, the pre-recessionary 2007-2008, which wasn't that healthy. But I think we're going to be in for some moderate strength for a period of time. Rob, yeah, quick answer? Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. I think that um, I think that we're going to have a nice long run here, borrowing, you know, barring any sort of big national catastrophe of, you know, a complete meltdown of the national economy or something like that. As long as our, you know, economic conditions stay reasonably favorable and people stay employed, uh, they're going to buy houses. Great. It's been wonderful talking to you both. We've been speaking with Brad Eifert with Boone County Lumber and Rob Wolverton with R. Anthony Development Group. I'm Melody Perry alongside my co-host, Peggy Kirkpatrick. We're signing off. This is the CEO Roundtable on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. This city is my city and I love it. Yeah, I love it.